Hey everyone, Preston Keller here. Welcome to the Rush Student Ministry Podcast. We're so glad that you have joined us for another episode, or maybe you're a first-time listener. If you're new here, we invite you to connect with us on Instagram and Facebook under the handle at Rush Students. Also, we'd love to partner with you. So you can partner with us by leaving a rating and review of our podcast, and that'll help us get the word out to provide resources to as many youth pastors as possible. And we sincerely thank you in advance. All right, let's dive into today's episode. And I've got to tell you, I'm so excited to share this one with you. I had a conversation on archaeology and youth ministry with a great leader in my life, Dr. Scott Stripling. He is the director of excavations at Shiloh, just outside of Jerusalem. You know, the Shiloh where the tabernacle was set up, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where a young Samuel was dropped off to serve under Eli, the high priest. Yes, that Shiloh. There's an archeological dig every year And guess what? You can volunteer to help out. I have been in Israel two times with Dr. Stripling, and you can come with me on an archaeological dig. Let's go to Israel together, but we've got a podcast to listen to, so I'll send you to the website. You can see details for that opportunity and for a vast library of resources that you can check out. It's at BibleArchaeology.org. So check that out. But for the time being, Dr. Stripling is an amazing leader, teacher, and archaeologist. I'm so excited that you get to spend time with him right here, right now. So let's dive in. Let's talk archaeology and youth ministry with Dr. Scott Stripling. Hello, everyone. We're excited to have you with us uh, here on the Rush Student Ministry Podcast. And our guest today is Dr. Scott Stripling. He is an archaeologist and is the director of excavations at Ancient Shiloh. And he previously directed the excavations at Kerba El Makader. And uh, his academic affiliation is with the Bible Seminary in Katy, Texas, where he serves as provost and professor of biblical archaeology and church history. He is a popular speaker and author, and Dr. Stripling has served on a variety of boards, including the Near East Archaeological Society. He and his wife, Janet, have four children and now three grandchildren. Um, I He means a lot to me. I've personally been with Dr. Stripling in Israel two times, and most recently, uh, we went to Egypt and a uh, special trip. His wife Janet was there and my dad was there as well. We had a blast in Egypt. Uh, Dr. Scott Stripling, we're so excited to have you on the podcast today. How are you doing? Hey, Preston. It's good to be with you. I've been looking forward to this all week. Absolutely. We're so honored to have you and uh, talk about biblical archaeology for our audience of youth pastors and church leaders. It's going to be great. Well, you know, it's a a great topic, and people, as you know, they can get bit by a bug once they see this connection between the two, because it does so much to bring the world of the Bible to life, and, you know, the Bible is important to to us, and when we have a new lens through which we can see it, it is an exciting thing, so hopefully your uh, folks watching and listening will enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, give us... um... Uh, I'm wearing my Kerba El Makader shirt uh, when we were digging at at I ancient I. Would you uh, maybe just give our listeners um, and viewers uh, 
kind of a conclusion of the dig at Kerbin El Makader and then maybe an update on what's happening at Shiloh. Okay, well, uh, back in those days, they used to call me the eye doctor, Preston, but now that we've moved on, not, not anymore. Um, I have a, about two or three feet from me a, a portrait that was given to me last week that you're in. Uh, they, they were taking a picture of me, and you saw their picture was being taken, and you ran over there and got into the photo. Uh, and so you are now actually on the wall here in my office, so I get to pray for you all the time when I see this. Um, Kerbidal Makader was, we, I think we proved after 21 years of excavation, was Biblical Eye of Joshua 7 and 8. Uh, a great summary, folks could go to academia.edu, my page at academia.edu, and for free, just download my article called The Problem of Eye Solved After 40 Years uh, of Excavation. Hmm. And they could get the, the whole overview. Now, we are uh, almost coming up on five years having ended that uh, uh, dig, and we are concluding final publication. So that's the goal, is that you, within a five-year period, uh, complete your, your final publications. And so we have two volumes coming out next year in 2021. Uh, volumes one and two will cover the Bronze Age and Iron Age, and then volume two, the late Second Temple period, or New Testament uh, period remains. So we're still working diligently on Kerbin El-Makader to get that off our plate so then we can put all of our focus onto, uh, onto Shiloh. Our, our work at Shiloh began really with building relationships uh, over the last decade and then through those relationships and then the Antiquities Authority seeing the quality of our work and what we were doing and that our reports were submitted on time and well done and you know, all those best practices things that you have to do, striving for excellence, that uh, ultimately uh, an invitation came our way to excavate in ancient Shiloh, which is of course one of the preeminent sites in Israel. Uh, I was thrilled to do that. As you know, Kerbin El Makader is like in the wild, wild west. We no water, no bathrooms. I mean, it was primitive and it took people with a vision to, to do that. Um, but we were training in our team. We were training for reigning. We were building our team and building our protocols and being faithful and doing good scholarship. And uh, then, you know, we've been put on a much more uh, visible stage at this point. Mm. And um, we've completed three seasons of excavation. We were not able to dig this summer, unfortunately, but I've used that time to focus on publications and got a new book coming out for Zondervan next year uh, that I'm a co-author of called Five Views of the Exodus, mm. which I would encourage everyone to, I think it's just last week came out where they can pre-order that, Five Views of the Exodus. Awesome. Uh, and that is critically important, Preston, the dating of the Exodus, because that's how we build a biblical chronology. And so I wrote the chapter on the biblical date. Um, and, and the other chapters are basically different ways of saying you can't trust the biblical date. And so I have a problem with that. I think the archaeology says that we can. I don't see a conflict. And so folks will enjoy reading that. They can go ahead and purchase it uh, next year. We have a number of fascinating finds in our first three seasons at, at, at Shiloh that point to an Israelite sacrificial system there. So, uh, you know, that's, that's what our focus is. And I may be taking a team this winter to do uh, a little project since we're going through withdrawals at the moment. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, maybe for, for the listener uh, that, that might not be um, uh, 
privy to really the significance of Shiloh. Could you give us just a quick update on the, the, the biblical significance of this site? Okay, the Israelites arrived there with Joshua under his leadership around the year 1399. So following a six or seven year conquest, then Joshua 18.1 says that Joshua had the tabernacle erected at Shiloh. And this was in his home tribal territory. He was from the tribe of Ephraim. And so the, the, the tabernacle is located there. And this then becomes the center of Israelite life and worship down through the time, of course, of Eli and, and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and then Samuel the prophet. The, the tragic capture of the ark and the destruction of Shiloh occurs at that time. And uh, then from, from that point on, it's only referred to in scripture sort of as a warning, like Jeremiah seven twelve, go now to Shiloh and see what I did, uh, where I first caused my name to dwell. And it's a warning to Jerusalem. He said, look how much I loved Shiloh. This was the apple of my eye and I allowed them to be destroyed. Don't think I won't allow you to be destroyed, Jerusalem, which sadly is what happened anyway. Uh, but for over three centuries, the, the sacrificial system operated at, at Shiloh, and we are uncovering a lot of evidence of that sacrificial system that I've already published in some peer-reviewed journals and certainly in the media, but uh, we'll be doing you know final publications coming up on this over the next few years as well. Um, the, the tabernacle, I think, is really, really important because it answers the most basic of human questions, which is, like, how do I connect with God? And, you know, I messed up, and fortunately I'm aware of that, <laughs> self-aware, and God is holy, perfect, righteous. How do we bridge that gap between a righteous God and fallible people? And the sacrificial system answered that question. It provided a means. Leviticus 17, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So it gave them a means by which they could restore a vertical relationship with God and horizontal relationships with each other. And so as we study and deal with these massive bone deposits that we're uncovering and altar horns and pomegranates and storage rooms and all these other things that we can get into, uh, it's never far from my mind what the spiritual significance uh, of this is. Hmm. Wow. That's so good. So awesome. Um, for the person who's not uh, quite aware of this, this entire realm, can you just uh, tell us what biblical archeology span is, what the goal is, and maybe what a, a dig actually looks like? What, what we're doing when we say biblical archeology span is we're in the land of the Bible. And so basically modern Israel, modern Jordan, maybe a little bit of Egypt, a little bit of Lebanon, but what we would call the Southern Levant. And so the ancient text that we have to deal with in many cases is only the Bible. So sometimes we have other literature like the Amarna tablets or Ugaritic literature or specific inscriptions, site specific, but like Shiloh is not mentioned anywhere outside the Bible. It's in, not mentioned in Mesopotamia. It's not mentioned in Egypt. And so then someone who comes in like me, who uh, is an, uh, a trained archaeologist and a scholar, but also a Bible-believing Christian, and then I'm in the crosshairs because how could I possibly be unbiased with the, the data when I happen to believe that the Bible is a reliable historical document? And so the, the media has been fascinated by this, and they're always wanting to talk to me about it uh, because they have 
a whole generation, Preston, has been trained with the idea that the Bible is not a reliable document. Mm. What I have found are hundreds of synchronisms between the archaeological data and the biblical text where, where they match. And Shiloh is, is a test case for that. It's a microcosm for that. And so my conclusion from this, that, if, that, that a logical person would conclude that if the Bible and the archaeology match across the country, then there must be a God of the Bible and that that God holds a moral claim on our lives. Now, that's not a message that much of the secular world is eager to embrace, that, that we have an accountability to God. So uh, biblical archaeology, I guess, in the simplest form, is seeking to illuminate the world of the Bible. Now, those of us who are more evangelical will make other faith connections with that, but certainly in the broadest sense, we want to illuminate the world of the Bible. Mm. That is so powerful. So awesome. Uh, for those... I already have friends that that want to experience uh, the dig, and I know this episode is going to spark interest in the audience. Um, if someone wants to come and help and be a part of this, um, what does a dig look like, and what's the website that they can go to and, and read mm. all about it? I would love to have uh, any of your friends come with you. Hopefully, you can bring a great group uh, this next year. Believe me, it's a kind, much kinder and gentler dig than Kirby McCotter. We've got ice cream and coffee and bathrooms and you know, running water. I mean, you, you'll having survived McCotter, you'll find this easy. <clears throat> um, they can go to digshiloh.org, and that's where all things dig related are, um, and videos and and brochures to download and costs and details and dates and all that information is at digshiloh.org. Uh, what does a dig look like? We did three really good videos. I've got a great team that, you know, does all this stuff and makes me look good. But my team put together three really great videos that you can get at digshiloh.org or on YouTube. Or the cleanest copy might even be if they go to the Bible Seminary's website, thebibleseminary.org, mm. under just click on videos. And what a dig uh, needs, what a dig does, and what a dig means. And three videos there that they'll just love those awesome very cool so go check those out that's awesome um what uh maybe why we could answer why archaeology is significant to the life of a believer or in our personal study um why should we look into archaeology to help us understand uh in our personal walk and maybe what are some resources um that we could we could read up on articles, whatever whatever you might have. Preston, we are far removed from the events. Now, uh, we have a witness of the spirit that we've been born again, but dealing with an ancient text. I mean, it's written by Easterners to Easterners, mm. and we're not Easterners, and so we have thousands of years of distance. We have idioms and metaphors and all these things that are not native to our culture. And so the study of the ancient material culture enables us then to go then and there before we attempt to bring God's word here and now. And we get into some, some weird interpretations of scripture if we don't do, go through that discipline hermeneutically, and I would argue this would be the ultimate her, hermeneutical exercise, to go then and there before we attempt to bring it here and now. Um, 
and, and archaeology is the ultimate way of, of doing that. And Christians have to engage in the arena of ideas. Um, you know, this was a field that was started by believers, but has largely now been dominated by secularists. But um, we are out to change that. And uh, I'm very comfortable building friendships in that secular world and building bridges and engaging in the arena of ideas. Uh, I happen to think I've got really good ideas <laughs> and, and they come from the Bible and I'm really comfortable talking about them. And if there's some inconsistency between my analysis of the material culture and the text, let's talk about it. I, you know, let's, let's dialogue. And so I'm eager to, to see more people engage in this. Now you asked about resources. Um, our website at biblearchaeology.org, which is a ABRs, the Associates for Biblical Research, our DIG organization, uh, our website is biblearchaeology.org, and it is an incredible wealth of information. So like any Bible question that anyone has, uh, pretty much on anything, that if they go to our website and just type it in, they will get good scholarly articles from an archaeological perspective from people who are conservative, they believe the Bible. Um, and so if people only knew the wealth of stuff that was on our website, that's a go-to place. Um, I have a book called The Trowel and the Truth that is an intro level textbook to Bible and archaeology, uh, is another resource people could look at. And if they'll join ABR, by the way, you can do this for only $35. I don't know why it's so cheap. We should like triple the cost. But uh, uh, join ABR and you'll get our magazine four times a year, Bible and Spade. Mm -hmm. And I usually have an article in each issue and other ABR scholars and just a really good way to help what we're doing in the field and then also to get that Bible and Spade coming. Awesome. Biblearchaeology.org. So good. Well, um, bringing this uh, into the specific realm of our youth pastors and leaders who are teaching and preaching, junior hires, high schoolers, college students, um, how, what's, a, what's a good way to most effectively utilize archaeology in our lessons, in our sermons, uh, to help students bring the Bible to life? That's a great question, Preston. I'm about to give your listeners a couple of sermons right here. They can just send me checks, okay, to for, for what I'm going to give them right now. You want to see um, middle schoolers and high schoolers come to life. When you start using the material culture, you will captivate them, okay? Mm -hmm. And because in their world, it's just very ethereal, very uh, subjective. But when you bring the material culture, they're, they're hungry for that. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, at Kerbet el Makater, we excavated a, a silver coin, 1,356 coins altogether. And two of them were gold, five were silver, and everything else was bronze. Mm. Now just think about that, those ratios. Two gold, five silver, and then what would that be? 1,348 or something like that that are, are bronze. That's astounding. So when Peter and John told the man silver and gold we did not have. They weren't lying. I mean, it was rare. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 15. It's, it's a series of three parables about lost things, right? A lost son, a lost sheep, and a lost coin. And Jesus tells a story about a woman who had 10 coins. What kind of coins? 
You know how many times I had read that passage and I didn't know the answer to that question? Because our minds tend to glitch over what we think are unimportant details. Mm. Go back and look at Luke 15. There was a woman who had 10 silver coins. Mm. Ah, and she owned her own home. So she lost one of those 10 coins. What did she do? Well, it couldn't wait till morning. She lit lamps. So there was a sense of urgency, even though it was nighttime. She moved the furniture. She began to sweep the floor. She called out to her neighbors for help. She got down on her hands and knees until she found that lost coin. Now, Jesus uses that as an example to show our great value to him. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Mm. Now, are we of great value to God? Yes, there's a sense of urgency. Um, now, if it had been a bronze coin, she wouldn't even probably looked for it, or certainly not until the, the morning. I mean, go to the cushions of my couch. I'm sure we've got lots of, lots of coins in there. But when we understand the urgency, like this particular coin was worth two weeks' wages. Mm. And she had 10 of them. So that's five months' income. That's what Preston, your financial planner, tells you you should have in the bank, okay, is, is five months' in income set aside for contingencies. She had it. All right, so what do we now know about this woman thanks to biblical archaeology that we didn't know five minutes ago? Well, we know that she was a woman of means, a, a woman of wealth, and we know that the coin which represents us is something of great value. Mm. Now, we didn't change the text there. We just illuminated it. And when you start taking, and I mean, you can buy those coins and get the actual coin or a picture of it, and you talk to a group, of, of middle schoolers or high schoolers or college students or whatever, and you show them that coin, here it is, and here's what God was saying, I'm telling you, you just grabbed your, your audience. And I could give you countless examples just like that. Maybe we should do a book or a series on, you know, meditations or sermons or connections between the archaeological data and the biblical text. Yeah, that would be awesome. Wow, that helps. That helps so much. Uh, uh, something that's uh, came to mind, and, and this would, uh, a lot of our youth pastors, their, their group is aged out from middle school to college, and then we have some listeners that would be like a young adult leader, so they're dealing with, you know, the, those undergraduate years for our students. Um, we've all seen it, uh, have a, a strong student in the youth group, and then they go to that secular university, and they get a... A, a life roadblock, if you will, that they, for the first time ever, they've got that secular professor that's denouncing everything they've ever believed. Uh, what would you say, uh, how would you encourage a young adult leader that's got some students that are just um, meeting the world and, and their faith is kind of being shaken by what, they, uh, what they're being taught? I always thought the best thing to do, and I was once upon a time a youth pastor and uh, you know, dealt more directly and then, you know, raising, rearing my own children and dealing with young adults here at, at TBS. I, I have always thought that the best thing for us to do was to raise those issues ourselves within an environment of faith. Let's ask the tough questions. Is the Bible a reliable historical text? And I really think that kids are interested in that. And then we bring in archaeology. I mean, they can deal with philosophy and apologetics and all these other things, but I think that the archaeology brings a dimension to it 
that they can wrap their their minds around okay so if we if i could show you 100 examples where the bible said something and it was confirmed archaeologically what would that do to my faith as someone who's going away to a secular university when i have these seeds of doubt that are sown i've got something to rely back on to fall back on you know take for example, the biblical account of Sennacherib seizing uh, Jerusalem. So he surrounds Jerusalem uh, in the days of Hezekiah, and the Bible says that God smote them and that uh, they, they fled. They went back to Syria, and that Jerusalem was saved. Hezekiah is, is a hero. Well, in, Hez- in Sennacherib's own palace, you have the reliefs. It's floor-to-ceiling relief telling the exact same story. I went to Jerusalem. I surrounded Jerusalem. And then I unexpectedly decided to go back home. And in his perspective, he says that I did worse than, than kill Hezekiah. I left him trapped like a bird in a cage in Jerusalem. And then I went back to my royal palace, blah, 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 blah. Well, okay, the ending you know, this is royal propaganda, so the ending is is slightly different, but how can we say when we have example after example like that, that this is not a reliable his, historical document? Um, so I think exposing to the, that to them in an intentional sense is very helpful. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, that is helpful, really powerful. Um, man, oh man. Well, Dr. Stripling, Thank you for your time today. We're so honored to have you on the podcast. And I know this is going to help so many youth pastors and young adult leaders and, um, and our students. Uh, leaders, if you're listening to this, uh, share this with your high schoolers, your, your middle schoolers, your college students. This is, this is going to help us all. Um, Dr. Stripling, any, any closing uh, thoughts for our audience or words of encouragement? And then if you don't mind, uh, would you close us out in prayer? Absolutely. Um, I, I would just say in closing that if we consider the, the claims in, in Scripture and then just take something simple like the Zondervan Archaeological Study Bible or the books that I've mentioned and begin to look at the relationship between the text, then and there, here and now. So we talked a lot in this last 30 minutes about the then and there, but ultimately what does this mean in the here and now? So if there is a God and he has not changed, you know, what what does that have to do with me and how do I fit into his plan? Those are great things to, to think about. Um, I would welcome anyone through my website, scottstripling.net, if they want to connect with me to, uh, to do so. And I, I appreciate you uh, having me on today and uh, look forward to staying in touch. So uh, shall we pray? All right. Uh, we are so grateful for the opportunity to know you Lord and to make you known and to study your word, and we pray that you would open up doors for us that no man could shut, and we pray that as we engage in the arena of ideas that the false ideologies of of secularism would be torn down, that the faith of those who trust you uh, would be built up, and I pray for Preston and his life and his ministry and uh, his awesome family and church and all those who are are listening to the podcast, that you would give them, Lord, the, the faith to engage in that arena of ideas and the confidence that you'll be with them every step of the way. And we uh, pray all of this in the awesome name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
Hey friends, thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Rush Student Ministry Podcast. We are praying for you and we believe in you. Thank you for all that you are doing for students and for youth ministry. If this episode has helped you, provided insight or encouragement, we encourage you to send this out to your youth pastor friends, text this to your youth team members, and we can all grow together. If you're on Facebook or Instagram, find us at uh, under our handle at Rush Students, and we'd love to connect with you. And once again, if you're on Apple Podcasts, you will help us so much by leaving a rating and review. Hey, we can't wait to hang out with you next time. My name is Preston Keller, and you have been listening to the Rush Student Ministry Podcast. <laughs>